Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 1130 of the Juicebox Podcast. Welcome back to the Grand Round series. Today, Jenny Smith and I are going to be discussing the humanity of type 1 diabetes. That healthcare is a human story. We don't want doctors to forget that part as they're helping us and treating us. Nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan. When you place your first order, for AG1 with my link, you'll get five free travel packs and a free year supply of vitamin D. Drink ag1.com slash juice box. Don't forget to save 40% off of your entire order at cozyearth.com. All you have to do is use the offer code juicebox at checkout. That's juicebox at checkout to save 40% at cozyearth.com. If you're not already subscribed or following in your favorite audio app, please take the time now to do that. It really helps the show. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by the insulin pump that my daughter wears, Omnipod. Learn more and get started today with the Omnipod Dash or the Omnipod 5 at my link, omnipod.com slash juicebox. This episode of the Juicebox podcast is sponsored by Touched by Type 1, touchedbytype1.org, and find them on Facebook and Instagram. Touched by Type 1 is an organization dedicated to helping people living with type 1 diabetes, and they have so many different programs that are doing just that. Check them out at touchedbytype1.org. So what are we doing today? Jenny, we are going to do, we're going to do a, a topic that I don't like. I don't like what I have typed above it is it's uh moniker. So we're going to have to like hammer this out first. I just have the words okay. humanity and mentality, which, you know, aren't that descriptive. I think they're meant to lead us in a direction, but I don't know that they're a, a good title for an episode. So when you think about doctors needing to consider the humanity of the person that they're speaking with, and I think, what did we mean by mentality when we wrote this down? I don't know about mentality, but I do know, I remember sending you either an email or a text about us remembering to discuss that, like, healthcare is a human story. It's mm -hmm. not just all about data. It's not just all about numbers and lab results and that kind of stuff. There's there's a person behind all of this, and you have to remember that maybe in their, you know, when you're talking to them, how their mental health is affected in the way that you discuss something with them. Right. And when you talk about that, it makes me want to expand on that they're not just they're not just the person that's in front of you. They have relationships and responsibilities and other problems and joys in their life and all these other things. And you're asking them to do this incredibly a difficult and time-consuming task that feels like, of course, you know, the outcome is life and death, you know, to them, of course. And, and they need to go fold this in to the rest of their life when they get home. 
you right. can, you know you know what I mean you can't just I don't know how they how you you know what I'm saying and fold it in in a way that's very it's not like folding in a medication for your heart right right Take it's not like taking a pill every morning at six o'clock and be like oh that's it for the day not until six o'clock tomorrow do I have to take another medication right folding this in is really like it becomes a piece of you yeah yeah you have to like teach them that the routine is what makes it feel like take a pill at 9 a.m. Like, so like, right. what, you, do you know what I mean? What I mean by that is it, sure. It's simple to send someone home and say, take one of these at, you know, dinner, make sure you eat first. Great. Right. Even by that way, people have a hard enough time with that. Right. Absolutely. Thus the pill minder apps and all of the things. The boxes with the, right. with the days. On. By the way, the first right. time you get a pill box is my experience. Uh, but if you go, oh, I'm old. Damn. <laughs> it happened. I have a box with my vitamins in it. But yeah, like people have a hard enough time remembering to take a pill with a meal. And then one missed day turns into two missed days. And then that thing happens. I watch it happen here in my own house sometimes. My daughter said to me the other day, she takes vitamin D. She needs mm-hmm. to, right? She has to. Her vitamin D level drops without it. And she misses it for a couple of days. And she goes, I haven't taken this in a couple of days and I feel fine. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that's not how that works. But what happens when, oh, I don't bolus for my meals, but my blood sugar goes up to 200, but it comes back down, but I feel fine. But I feel fine. Right. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So there's that part. But why don't we go through some of the the feedback and we'll find this as we go. The first thing is from a listener that says, this can be very difficult and mentally and physically exhausting. And you and I kind of translated that into like, you know, offer people grace, which I know is a, is a hot thing to say nowadays, you know, mm-hmm. to, to give someone grace. But what do you think that means for you? I mean, you're a person with diabetes. What are you looking for from a doctor? Right. So, you know, from a doctor, the, the piece, when I talk to my endo, especially who is, she's super great. Um, and even her nurse practitioner is really nice. Grace is not being nitpicky from their angle of picking out just the one particular day, which was just your like crap show of a day, right? I mean, well, what happened here? Like clearly there's a wider picture. And as a clinician, you can see the scale of how things have been. So instead of picking things apart, you do have to give a little bit. And if something is brought up in that case by the person to say, hey, don't pay attention to this or you know, I was on vacation for these days or whatever, but you do have to have a little give and take back and forth in order to work together, you know, person with diabetes and care team. I mean, my doctor always asks me, what is it, you know, we need to pick apart today? What is it that you really need from me today? And I think there as a person with diabetes, you have to be ready to come to your clinician as well with some thoughts. I have to ask you, you're a person who People come to and ask that question of all day long, like, help me. When you go to your doctor, you ask them for help? Today's episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Omnipod. And before I tell you about Omnipod, the device, I'd like to tell you about Omnipod, the company. I approached Omnipod in 2015 and asked them to buy an ad on a podcast that I hadn't even begun to make yet. Because the podcast didn't have any listeners, all I could promise them was that I was going to try to help people living with type 1 diabetes. And that was enough for Omnipod. They bought their first ad. And I used that money to support myself while I was growing the Juicebox podcast. You might even say, 
that Omnipod is the firm foundation of the Juicebox podcast. And it's actually the firm foundation of how my daughter manages her type 1 diabetes every day. Omnipod.com slash Juicebox. Whether you want the Omnipod 5 or the Omnipod Dash, using my link lets Omnipod know what a good decision they made in 2015 and continue to make to this day. Omnipod is easy to use, easy to fill, easy to wear. And I know that because my daughter has been wearing one every day since she was four years old, and she will be 20 this year. There is not enough time in an ad for me to tell you everything that I know about Omnipod, but please take a look. Omnipod.com slash juicebox. I think Omnipod could be a good friend to you, just like it has been to my daughter and my family. Absolutely. There are things that I bring in as questions in my, I've gotten to the point of knowing that my questions really have to be what I can't do myself or what I've got relevant like questions about that I'm not able to take care of because my own diabetes management quite I don't really need my endo for that, but there are other pieces to that, other considerations, especially as you get older, when to have um, these types of evaluations for like heart health and this type of an evaluation for this from a women's health kind of perspective. Mm -hmm. And those are all things that I expect them to have a good answer. Not that I have no clue about them but I want a little bit more direction. And so I can come to my doctor absolutely with questions. Do I send, even though I look at my own reports, I send my reports to my doctor because if they don't have in-between information to keep up with things, then it's kind of like a load that you're piling on their plate, three, six months worth of data, and you expect them to figure something out about it, Mm -hmm. right? I'm Glad to hear that that's your answer, but I also wanted to ask the question to point out that, you know, for all the people who you're like, oh, they're a nurse, they understand it, or that person's a doctor, I don't need to explain this to them. That's not the case normally. So, you know, you can't just disregard somebody because you think they might understand. It's right. Yeah, I think that's important. Also, isn't it interesting when you show somebody uh, a report, a graph with, I don't know, A1C that's in the low sixes and not a lot of variability and looks great, but there's a couple of bad days here. Why is it your thought to say, oh my God, what happened here? Instead of, wow, so much of your time is so well managed. Congratulations. Like, you know what I mean? Like, why do you pick out the one problem? Mm -hmm. That's what the person remembers when they leave then. And it is. Yeah. And it is human nature to pick for the bad. Like you see, I I do it a lot with all the people that I work with too. You know, they come in either having emailed a bunch of things that they definitely are, we got to zone in on this, you know, and whatever. And I see those questions and they're important to address. Absolutely. But I also really try to look at the wider scope and say, if we could filter out these, these incidents that you think are the majority of the time, you'd actually see that like, 80% 80% of the time, you're doing, you're doing a phenomenal job. Like, yeah. look at all of this and these little these little blips that you don't want that have become what you're highlighting. They're not the big picture. It is fascinating, isn't it? That as people, it's not our inclination to to gravitate to the things that are going well. Yeah, it's, right. it's just yeah. really, it's not, this is not the only place it happens, but it's a, one of the places where it's, it's really important. So if you're a doctor 
and your mom always picked on you, like, don't do it to other people. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wish all my doctors respected my desire to understand my disease and mm-hmm. their treatment options. So this is a person telling me, I want to be included in this. I, and it's not enough for me to be even doing well. I need to understand how we got here. Right. Yeah. I need autonomy. I need, because that's not just about management. I think that's about psychological comfort too. It is. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that all goes along with meeting the person where, where they are as well as where, um, what are their goals? What are your targets? You know, I, as a clinician may have targets and ranges and things that I want to help somebody get to, but you have to know where is the person starting Mm -hmm. and what, what are their immediate goals and how can we bring things together so that they kind of both meet in the middle (laughs) in a way, right? And understanding is a big one then for people who have this particular goal and you really would like to see them get a little bit farther. What do they understand about how to get there? Mm -hmm. I think that maybe far too often a doctor, or it doesn't have to be a doctor, any personal interaction, right, between two people. I have an intention about what I'm saying, Mm -hmm. and you hear something else. And listen, here here it is, bare bones. It was pouring rain here last night, and it's trash night. And, And my wife had thrown a bag of garbage on the back step, and that's not the direction of where the garbage gets taken out. So it's raining, it's late. I'm like, oh, I got to take it. I waited all afternoon thinking it would just stop for a second so I could just, but okay, now I'm all bundled up and everything. And I say to my wife, I'm going to get wet. And I am complaining. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get so wet. But anyway, I'm going to go out to the trash, but I'm going to walk around the back of the house to get this one bag of trash that she put out back instead of bringing it through the house. It's been outside, it's been raining, and she's mopping the floor in the kitchen. So in my mind, what I was thinking was, I don't want to bring the bag of trash through the house because she's just mopped it. I don't want to make a mess of it. But when I said, oh, I got to go all the way around the house to get the bag, I'm going to get soaked. She thought I was complaining about the fact that I was going to get wet. And I I was confused. I stopped and I was like, wait, what's happening right now? Like, I'm saying this nice thing and she's taking it wrong or maybe I'm saying it wrong. So I stopped and I just said, hey, I want to be clear. I'm not upset about getting wet in the rain. I'm trying to save the clean floor that you just made. And I'm going to go back out. When I said I was going to be all wet, I meant I didn't want to walk all wet through the house. I'm I'm trying to respect what you're doing. But that simple little moment between two people who have known each other for like 30 years, there was that confusion. So when you look at a person in in a healthcare situation and go, oh, what happened here? Right. You might mean, hey, this graph looks terrific. We just got one little problem. Let's fix it. Let's fix. You didn't say that's that. That's not the way it's taken. Yeah, right. So mm-hmm. you didn't say that or they didn't hear that. One way or the other, if you walk away from that conversation having not clarified, you now have a problem and you'll never yeah. get you'll never get rid of it again. So. Well, and I think what you really what you just sort of pulled all together <laughs> without probably thinking about it is the word communication. Yeah. Right. And that's what all of this, all of these that we've kind of put together now, they're all about the right type of communication. Mm-hmm. And communica- communication means that there is an understanding from both parties. And <clears throat> as the clinician, you have to make sure that what you're trying to either teach or discuss is not only being received the right way, 
but also that there's an understanding that's taking place so that there isn't miscommunication where somebody then gets irritated or angry or walks out thinking, well, I didn't get any of my questions answered, right? right? Well, here's the next thing on our list. Let me see if I'll say something. You tell me if you agree with it. Okay. If you're type two using insulin or you have type one diabetes, your management's pretty much the same. Take insulin, big picture, not very, like not granular, big picture, you're going to take insulin for food. You're going to have a background insulin. It's pretty, yes. pretty much the same. Yes. You and I talking about it here, we get what we're saying to each other, right? Yes. But if you say it like this to them, this person says, I was told by my endocrinologist that it didn't matter if I had type 1 or type 2. My treatment would remain the same. He asked me why it mattered to me. Hmm. Why does it matter to you if you have type 1 or type 2 diabetes? It's going to be the same either way. I wouldn't mm. have said that to a person, but I, I no. was comfortable saying what I said to you. Right. You know, like, why would you add on that little thing at the end? Why does it matter to you? I almost cursed. Who would say that to a person? It matters right. to me because it's me. Because <laughs> it's me. Yeah. And because I think that that clinician is also missing the grander picture of, we know in the diabetes community, despite many people not wanting lines being drawn, there are very hard lines drawn between I have type one. Mm-hmm. No, I have type two. And the community is learning to work or the communities are learning to work together, which is great. But there still are very drawn like, no, no, I have type one. This yeah. is not type two. And that clinician is not seeing clearly, that picture. Yeah. Well, you know. I'm probably going to say something I don't mean to share with people, but whatever, I'm trying to help. So um, (laughs) to Jenny's point, I've tried very hard. I've had this podcast for like 10 years now, and I've tried very hard to have a one tent mentality about diabetes. And Mm -hmm. I do it pretty well on Facebook, and I do it pretty well here. I don't have a ton to share about type 2, but you and I put together a really comprehensive pro tip series for people with type 2 diabetes, a great primer, something to get you going if you don't understand or your doctor's not being very helpful. And Jenny knows this, and only a few other people in the world know this, but I knew when I was producing that material that I was going to lose a certain percentage of my listeners for presenting type 2 material. And I did. I put out a type. Because you've been seen mainly as a type 1 Type 1 thing. But I think, moreover, that there are a number of people with either type 1 or type 2 diabetes that do not want to be associated with the other side. And so... Most of 2023, I spent rebuilding the listeners I lost from just offering type 2 information. And by the way, don't get me wrong. It wasn't like, here's three weeks of type 2 information. It's in the course of a five-day period, which I put out five episodes for like eight weeks in a row. One of the five episodes had type 2 information in it. Right. And it's angered or annoyed people to the point where I lost, I think, about 600 listeners. Right. Which is, and I think it had started as you kind of mentioned with the comment from this clinician to this person, right? Mm -hmm. That's unfortunately, that's where it kind of gets lost is how you're maybe how you're diagnosed or how you're told about it. And honestly, the lines in terms of the types of medications now are very blurry between type one and type two. Yes, there are some very well and very specifically defined meds that are really type two for the reason and 
the how they work in mm-hmm. the body that you wouldn't use in type 1 diabetes, right? But now a lot of the meds that are available, despite them being classified or whatever, you know, prescribed as a type 2, they're finding an awful lot of benefit in type one. And so I think we've got this line that's getting blurred mm-hmm. that despite being two distinct conditions for different reasons, management is kind of crossing over, honestly. Yeah. And and I think what Jenny's saying, like without saying it, is that you're going to see GLP medications used more frequently with type yes. ones in the future. Yes. I'm going to have people on the show this year a handful of people who are type ones who, you know, maybe started for weight reasons. They got weak ovary or something. And then they started seeing all the impacts on their, um, on their health. We're seeing people using it for like PCOS symptoms Mm -hmm. and they're having a significant reduction in their insulin. So yeah, it's possible that maybe this issue goes away moving forward, but for the moment, just look up, see sports, politics or anything else. People like being on a team. And, you know, so and by the way, that part of the conversation aside, how about he asked me why it mattered to me that that might not have nothing to do with that person wanting to be on team type one or team type two. Maybe it's just I'd like to know what's happening to me, please. Right. You know, that's all. And honestly, as we've said there or now, I just said there's a there is a distinction between the reason between type one and type two in the majority of cases. Right. And so for somebody to say, well, I just really want to be in one or the other because there is a different community aspect right. as well in either one or the other. Or how about I'd like to look out for the rest of my family and see if, right. you know, maybe I, maybe I could be going back to my sister and saying, Hey, listen, you have a kid, like look out for this because I have type one diabetes now. And you know, who knows? Right. Like there's so many reasons why I have some feedback here that says, I want the doctor to know that when I go in, in with a problem, it isn't always related to my diabetes. So that point is a good point. But for this specific conversation, I think what that means is don't look at me and just see diabetes. Please don't go, oh, that's a diabetic. If they're complaining about this, it must be because they have diabetes. Maybe it will be, but I think you make a mistake when you do that. And I can only relate a personal anecdote. But when my daughter was young, I taught myself, this was before CGMs. So she'd come home from school. I didn't know where her blood sugar was. I was worried out of my mind about the 20 minutes that was between when she texted me, I'm getting on the bus and my blood sugar is this. And when she actually got home, I first had to stop myself from standing at the door like, oh my God, are you okay? You know, and then I realized I can't ask her what her blood sugar is when she comes home right away. It's dehumanizing. It really is. And you you might not think it to hear it out loud, but it is. You are it's a dehumanizing thing to have someone look at you and say, What's your blood pressure? What's your what's your blood sugar? Right. What's your but like it's like I'm a whole person here, you know? And so I take this person's point, but in that specific example, if someone comes to you and says, I'm having headaches, don't treat them like a diabetic having headaches. I mean, maybe you can in your mind and like be looking for things, but also they get real people sick too, which is a thing people with diabetes say because right. it's so misunderstood, you know? Well, and those are the the cases that I think some people, because they've gotten to have a relationship with their endo and maybe don't really use their primary care, 
as often because they just don't get sick or they don't have some of those minor things. Sometimes a, a lot of endos or endocrine nurse practitioners or whatever, they may actually field some of these questions that are, I've got a headache. And so they are in one particular field of care, you know, diabetes and obviously the other kinds of things endocrine takes care of, but they have to think first, is this relative to diabetes? So those questions may come out from the clinical side of consideration, Mm -hmm. but then their job is to also say, you know what? Everything looks really great, it, you know, in in your numbers, in the data that you've given me. And I think that this is a consideration for your primary care. Right. I'm going to refer you back here, or I'm going to refer you to ask for this type of, you know, clinician to seek out and, and get information from. Because you can't expect your endocrine team to manage all of your questions. Right. Their job is to consider, will this have impact on your diabetes? And if not, I'm going to refer you. Mm -hmm. Do you know that there have been times we've taken my daughter to a specialist for something else? And I'll tell her when we go in, do not mention your diabetes at first. Like, let's explain what's happening. Get their unbiased opinion of what you've said. And then we can layer that on afterwards. But that's just I've just found if you walk in and go, I have type one diabetes and that's it. You're done. Like they're going to just they're brain's going to checklist down, find the thing that fits and not bother thinking about your issue. Now you tell them at some point, but I'm like, let's get it out first and let them really consider it. Right. You know, or they'll get a confirmation bias and they won't even know what's happening. Right. Uh, this is something, this person says, I wish that my doctor understood that shaming and judging me and other patients for not checking our blood sugar as frequently as they think we should is absolutely not the way to get them to check their blood sugar more often. It makes me resent coming to the doctor. And from an explanation standpoint for a clinician, again, there you are, it's really important for you to explain more about why you're asking for this, mm-hmm. right? Not the blame game of, well, why aren't you? Or I don't see enough information here. It's what's going on that's a problem, yeah. right? What else in your life is kind of deterring? the ability, you know, to get this information. And from a clinical, this is the reason this would be really helpful. You've brought in these other questions and these other things that are bothering you. And if I had a little bit more information, I might be able to say whether or not diabetes is really a piece of this or not. Right. So, you know, it occurs to me while we're talking that if, if you are listening to this and you don't know you and I, it could almost seem like we're doing some ultra woke, like be nice to me or like, you know, and right. we're not, we're not, we're not, we're no, try- no, no. <laughs> we're trying to say, we're trying to say the way you start is the way it finishes and that people are going to be obviously unique and different and hear things in a ton of different ways, but there is a way for you to approach everyone, whether it's, you know, me or you or a little kid in a way that you can get the information you need from them, help them and not leave them in a situation where they're resenting you as they're walking out of the office. Like, even if you're right, like I want to say that, like, even as a doctor, if what you're hearing right now is like, I need to know how often they're checking their blood sugar. This is very important. I think it is too. I'm not saying it isn't. I'm saying that the way you get that information can go a long way towards building a good relationship. And by the way, it, 
you know, it might sound like I don't have time to figure out every person that comes into this office so I know exactly how they want to be talked to. But that's not really the case. There is a way to approach this that covers everybody. And you don't have to have a thousand different statements to get you to your answer. There's there's ways to talk to people where you don't leave them feeling badly about your interaction. So right. that's what I'm talking about. As a clinician myself, I always consider it from how do I want to be approached when I come in for my own visits, mm -hmm. right? And again, the reason that I like the team that I work with is because it always seems to start the way that I actually start a, a visit or a conversation with the people that I get to work with is like, how are things? Tell me about your family and what's going on. And like, oftentimes like the first five-ish minutes or so is just, how are we? Like, yeah. how are things going in the past month since we last talked or, mm -hmm. or emailed or whatever? And that's what I expect when I come in. You know, I know clinician visits in office, they're limited in time. So there's only so much that you can expect them. You can't give their whole life story for three hours and then finally get to what you need to, yeah. <laughs> to get to. But there is that human side of connection that may very likely open the door to them providing enough information for you to then give them what's really important. Right. Well, what you end up giving them eventually too is this autonomy to make decisions. Yes. Which is what you want. You know, like you want to give them confidence and enough tools and, you know, like lead them in the right direction once so they can go do something and watch it go well. And then they get excited and do a better job. And then before you know it, it's commonplace. Then they're just going to be in there asking you for their prescriptions and, hey, how are you? How are the kids? And let's go. And everybody's right. healthy and happy and, and what you want. It's doable. It is doable. And I think that those tools, you made a good like connection there. And those tools that you may use to give somebody, they change based on the person. And if you spend even five minutes in a visit in which you start to get to know somebody's life and what's going on, the tools you pick out of your toolbox to help them, mm -hmm. they're going to be specific to that person's need. You're not going to tell them to do this when their time constraints are ridiculous in their day. And even though you want them to do something that's time consuming, you can now say, okay, they don't have time for this. I have to, I have to figure something else out that's going to be relevant to get them to do what I think is important, but that they can do. They need a win too. They do. They need a win to build on. Everyone needs a win to build on. So you got to, you have to find a way to give them one. It doesn't fit here, but I just had an experience with somebody uh, yesterday and that's what I figured out. I was like, she's just, she's drowning. Like she just mm -hmm. needs to take four breaths in a row where she doesn't feel like she's drowning and it's going to get better. And I'll tell her this one little thing that'll move her in a better direction. And sure enough, two days later, the, the um, content and tone of her message, this is by the way, I'm not even speaking to this person. It's just typing the content right. and the tone of this lady's message shifted in 48 hours. And now she feels empowered. That's it. Right. Not that hard. By the way, this one is written like it's from a listener, but I think this is you, Jenny. Oh. Don't tell your newly diagnosed patient that you need to see them again in three months, only for them to go out to the counter and find out you're booked out for five months. Yeah, that's really <laughs> annoying. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is. And I think it's the reason that many offices, again, endocrinology specifically, there are not enough endocrinologists. Mm -hmm. There are just not. And when you break it down even to pediatric endocrinologists, they're even less, right? And then thankfully, we're now bringing in more nurse practitioners and PAs 
into endocrine practices so that, you know, if it's six months until you can see the endo, well, maybe in three months you can see the PA or the nurse practitioner and you do a, a kind of a handoff back and forth every three months. But you're, you're right. I mean, if you've been told to check in and the check-in point is going to be six months down the road instead of two or three, you're left hanging in this in-between void of, well, who is going to help me here? Mm-hmm. Am I even going to get an answer back? Is somebody going to look at my information? <laughs> and this is Jenny talking about it from like a maintenance, like a management perspective. I'm going to talk about it from a psychological perspective. You just told me it's very important for me to come back in 90 days. Then I walk outside and the girl at the things like, we can see you in June. I was like, June, it's December. She said for me to come back in three months. We, we can't do that. Right. Is that important? Is something bad going to happen? She said 90 days. And you leave people in turmoil, always causing them turmoil and churning up their guts and then sending them on their way to be by themselves. It's confusing. Very much is. I wish my doctor would not have connected food with guilt because that was a mistake that lasted a lifetime. Yeah. So it does suck. But as bad as that is to do to a person who doesn't have diabetes and isn't using insulin, it's maybe 50 times worse to do somebody using insulin. You freeze them and either cause... I mean, you cause an eating disorder in one way or the other. They either yes. restrict their food or they just go, woo, I'm not going to pay attention to this. You right. know, right. It's terrible. Like, you can't do that. There's, if, yeah, I don't know. And a major, yeah. a major part of your diabetes management is tied to food. It's insulin, mm-hmm. right? So now that you've tied this piece that's necessary, I mean, two pieces that are necessary for human life, right? We've got food. It's a basic necessity. We have to have food, not too much just enough, right? But you have to have the insulin to get the food in the right place in your body. And so now when you connect them in a negative way to say, well, you know, this all about this food and, oh, there's too much here. And, oh, look at that. And, oh, these blood sugar changes that we don't want to see. Oh, this must have been a really horrible meal. You see, all those, they bring in, well, gosh, should I just eat lettuce or nothing at all? Yeah. There's an entire movement right now of us identifying a problem and then blaming the person it's happening to. You could ask an eight-year-old at this point, what's the problem with food in America? And they're going to be like, oh, it's processed and not good for me, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, you go. Don't talk to my kids. (laughs) Your kids don't know. Jenny raised those kids. They think a carrot is candy. And so, uh, (laughs) but, but, you know, most people are going to say, oh, yeah, I know there's a problem in the world. Processed food, fast food, it's troublesome. So much soda. You know, it, it, our bodies can't handle it. Everybody understands it. But then when you get to the how to functionally help somebody, you go, that's their problem. They're eating it. Have you ever driven around America and tried to stop and get something to eat? Good luck finding something. I'm using Wegovy for weight loss. So now all of a sudden... I realized that in the past, if I was traveling, I would just eat what I could get my hands on, even if it wasn't something I would normally eat. But now I'm very right. careful not to eat like high, like anything that's fatty or greasy, even once in a while. And I have found myself going, there's nothing for me to eat here. And then going to another place and going, there's nothing for me to eat here. There's no, f- I'm going to have to go into a grocery store and get an apple. I can't physically walk it. We've set up a society where this is how food has gotten restaurants, convenience stores, those sorts of things, and then fed people a ton of bad food and then told them in the end, it's their fault for eating it. It's all they have. Right. You know, so I don't know how that happens. Like, how do you say to somebody, 
hey, you live in a volcano. Your problem is your feet are hot. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> you got yeah. shoes that don't get hot? Can I? Can you hang me from the ceiling? Is there a, like, don't tell me the problem. I know the problem. Give me an answer. Anyway, that's. No, that's yeah. 100% correct. And I think there are too many. I mean, this is a hot, this is a hot sort of piece in my mind that it bothers me when when clinicians who have no nutrition educational background dole out blanket statements. Yeah. Right? Because one, you have to be blind to be completely or, you know, unaware of what's going on in our food society. The majority of the stuff that people call food or that is readily, easily available, is it's not food, right? right. right? And I wish there was an easier way to define it, but it's the, also the reason when you go in a grocery store, the grand majority of that grocery store is not stuff that's really great no. for anybody to eat. The tiny little natural food section. <laughs> yeah, that's the food. The rest is taste bud playland. There, there, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but that's fine. But then don't, as the doctor, slip into bro science and be like, Ugh, it's your fault. Right. Great. Thanks. <laughs> I what make, do you want me to do about it? I make $250 a week. Could you help me? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I, I don't know what to do. Anyway, it's, you're blaming people for a thing that you can say they're in control of. But if you look at the big picture, they don't have any... Yes, they're in control, but they don't have any choice. And so it doesn't matter. They're doing the thing that, that's keeping them all. At least they're eating and they're staying alive. You right. know, and they probably Absolutely. were brought up thinking that it was good. Anyway, oh, geez. All right, now I'm all upset. <laughs> don't tell people they're non-compliant. There's a free tip. Oh. Like You can think it if you want. <laughs> and I know you what? probably have to chart it for, right? But you can't let them see it. Either. Well, and that's the thing to, with today's, you know, e-charts and everything that are readily available and even electronic medical records that now we have access to as the person who has the health condition, right? When I log in, I can absolutely read everything that was written in the doctor visit, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I think that word in and overall, it should be totally removed because... I think there are very, very, there's a very minimal amount of people who that truly would even apply to. And even that minimal amount, it's very likely the fact that they're not, they're not by choice non-compliant. Mm -hmm. It's there are things in their life that are not allowing them to know enough about what to do, even in the simplest way that could make things better. Yeah. And that's your job as a clinician, again, to get to know them and figure out how to help. Right. And also, by the way, there are going to be times where you give information to a person that knows better than you, and then you think they're non-compliant for not listening. And if you think that's a crazy statement, then I'll introduce you to the thousand people who have told me that they've lowered their A1C safely and in a healthy way and then gone to the doctor and the doctors tried to tell them to put it back up again. Yeah. So, you know, that actually happens to people as well. Caretaker burnout. You should include that conversation when you're talking to parents or you know, people who are helping adults with diabetes. That this and this kind of leads into the other part I want to I want to finish up here with is that I understand that the doctors might be burned out as well. Yes. You know, that they have this compassion fatigue maybe, you know, and that it's hard to like I would imagine it's hard every 20 minutes to be like, hey, how are you? What's going on with the family? 
you know, like I just did this with the last person being so needed, like that being so needed from you, not fake, by the way, if you fake happy, people read that in two seconds. Like, Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't fake the happy. Like you have to really mean it and you have to have, Mm -hmm. you have to have good communication skills and, you know, offer people real empathy, not like, right. You know, I know I'm supposed to say, I feel bad for you. I know this is hard, but you know. And something I've, I've found too within that realm is the ability, the ability of the clinician to connect as a person too. Mm-hmm. Right. A lot of times, you know, we've heard that term like white coat syndrome, right? And to take that down a notch and bring a comfort level in, when you're asking about somebody, many times they'll ask, well, how are you? And that's not a, well, how are you? I just want to know that you say, well, I'm okay today. Mm-hmm. Most often they're really, they're interested, yeah. right? And if you, if you give yourself a personality or if you give a little bit about you and how your life has been and whatever, I mean, you don't have to give where you live and where your kids are going to school or anything, but, but be real. something, something real, something yeah. that's, that's connectable, right? That makes you, I guess, and the information you want to provide a little bit more receivable. Yeah, sure. You be a real person. Although yeah. some of us are going to run into doctors who are fantastic doctors because their personality lends themselves to understand science and sit and study for years and everything. And ma- sometimes that doesn't lend to like, you know, personality, a great personality. Yeah. Like, like, like right. a real, like, not that they're terrible people, but they just no. might not be like gregarious and 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 inviting sometimes and stuff like that. I mean, it can happen right. to anybody, but I'm just saying I've met a couple of doctors who were brilliant doctors who, you know, you're in there, you're like, oh, well, this, this is hard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Great doctor, but whoof. I mean, and what's the way to say that? Like no bedside manner. What that really means is they lack in communication, but I don't come in and say, hey, I fixed your toe. I put the ligament back on there. Let's do the exercises. Come back in six weeks. It's going to be fine. You know what I mean? Like this is a bigger thing. It's a lifelong thing that this last little bit here is this person says, sometimes it's like they don't realize that I've been living in this body longer than they'll ever spend hurriedly glancing over people's notes while rushing into an office to talk for five or 10 minutes. Yeah. Don't minimize my experience, Mm -hmm. you know, and I don't believe a physician rushes in and out, looks at your notes, tries to help you, and thinks, I'm minimizing this person's human experience. Right. They don't think that. But no, this is how it's received. You just wouldn't know that. So in the end, Jenny, this is why you'll hear people say over and over again, if you can find an endo who has type 1 diabetes, bonus. Huge bonus. Yeah. Absolutely. Or, you know, a clinician in their office that they are using for their education piece, right? Either a certified diabetes, you know, educator or they're working with a, a even a dietitian or a nurse in their office that participates in some of the education that they have type 1 diabetes. And those are the ones that I hear from in terms of the people I work with that I really love my office because of this one person, Mm. right? They really get it. Or they're always taking my calls. Even though I know I call a lot, they're taking my calls and they're getting me some information or some answers, you know? Mm -hmm. So, Well, listen, I've heard this story a handful of times and it's always lovely. It's like you said, like a nurse practitioner who has type one 
or somebody else involved in the practice who's in the room, maybe when you're talking to the endo, and they'll walk you out and down the hallway, they'll lean in and go, juice box podcast and people yeah. <laughs> and people people go what and go you want to listen to the podcast it's a it's called juice write it down juice but i know what the doctor just said but listen <laughs> so yeah having somebody who really gets it is is very helpful but yes. I, I appreciate you doing this with me thank you very of much of course thank you a huge thanks to touched by type one for sponsoring this episode of the juice box podcast Check them out on their website, touchedbytype1.org, or on Facebook and Instagram. A huge thanks to Omnipod, not just my longest sponsor, but my first one, omnipod.com slash juicebox. If you love the podcast and you love tubeless insulin pumps, this link is for you, omnipod.com slash juicebox. If you're looking for community around type 1 diabetes, check out the Juicebox Podcast private Facebook group, Juicebox Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes. If you're looking for the Diabetes Pro Tip series, it begins at episode 1000 in your podcast player, or you can find it at diabetesprotip.com or juiceboxpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast. The episode you just heard was professionally edited by Wrong Way Recording, wrongwayrecording.com.